Warning, the following episode contains extremely intense subject matter and themes. Viewer and listener discretion is very strongly advised. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the host, other guests, or any affiliated entities. Each participant is responsible for their own statements and opinions. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another edition of High Trust, Low Context, Episode 10, Get Behind Me, Satan. I'm your host, El Chaco, and with me tonight, I've got two awesome guests. Joining us again is honorary best friend of the show, Mr. Tab Burt, and joining us tonight is a man who has been to the dark side and back, a former satanic high wizard turned Catholic convert and author of the book, Abortion is a satanic sacrifice. He is none other than Mr. Zachary King. Welcome to the show, Zach and Tab. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, you know, I have been really excited about this episode right when I got back in touch with you, Zach, uh, because I have heard your testimony many different times. I love it. It's one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. But because I've heard it so much, I wanted to bring Tab on because I wanted somebody to hear it with fresh ears. And, uh, you know, when I say a satanic high wizard, and a lot of people aren't even familiar with what even is a satanic high wizard. What, what does that work with? So maybe can you give us a little bit of a background of, of what exactly a high wizard is? And maybe we can then go jump into how you became one. All right. So I was in two different satanic ovens. In my first one, I was referred to as the mage. So the uh, a brand new member wears a white robe. Uh, a member, a full-on satanic member, wears a black robe with a red inverted pentagram on it. And the mage does the official magic of the coven, and they wear a red robe with a black inverted pentagram. When I became the high wizard, I was 21 years old in my second coven. That the high wizard does the official magic of the coven. Now, Satan lets anybody do magic. Anybody in the coven can practice. The entire coven can practice magic. But the person that does, when someone shows up at the coven and says, I've got a million dollars, I need a spell done, and I need your official magic practitioner to do it, they want the high wizard. Now, the million dollars doesn't go to the high wizard. He does everything for free but you get the privilege of being the high wizard. You get everybody thinks you're the, you're the rock star of the coven. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to be you, not realizing everything you have to do. And if you want to look at what a high wizard looks like, go to YouTube, look up Pink Like a Pill official video, and she has a high wizard in her video four times. 
Uh, I actually, I used, um, I took a screen, I've heard that from you before. So I took a screen cap where that high wizard appears on the screen. And I put that in the uh, image. I put you, I put you over pink, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I put that in the uh, official thumbnail for this episode. So, but uh, Tab, um, how, like, are you from, like, what do you know about uh, Satanism? I mean, you know, I guess a lot of people so- have heard of. In Oklahoma, the Satanists uh, tried to put a statue on the state capitol, and that was a big controversial thing. And that was a that's about the extent of what I know about Satanism. Um, where where if someone's bringing a million dollars for to get a spell done, where is that money going? Is it just like invested into the coven? Yes, the the coven gets uh, gets the money. A uh, million dollars is by no means the most money ever given. No, you actually. Um, so, Zachary, you have a um, you have a podcast. It's easily available. You can find it on Spotify, uh, and it's under the name All Saints Ministry. And you actually tell a story in one of your episodes of the most money that was ever paid for one of your spells. Correct? Yes. Yeah. So maybe you could give Tab a little bit of an idea of of some of the higher higher end spells and what they cost. Uh, the most money ever presented was a billion dollars for, and this was done, the spell was done in the 1980s. And when it was presented to me, I was told the first amount I was given was it was a high dollar amount, but they didn't say what it was. Then somebody else told me it was a half a billion dollars and somebody else told me it was a billion dollars. And but when the spell was presented to me, it was at Bohemian Grove. Uh, this guy comes up next to me and starts talking. And it's somebody I talk to on a regular basis. And he said that he wanted his vision for the world was that every TV show, every cartoon that comes out, every children's show, uh, all of Disney, uh, but every show on TV, no matter what channel you put it on, has gay characters and not just any gay character. It's the prettiest female, the most handsome male. These people win all the Emmys. They're everybody's favorite character. They're loved that they're, they, they say the wittiest line, the funniest things. Um, just everybody falls in love with all the gay characters in the 1980s. Being gay was not in vogue. It was not popular at all. I mean, if you came out of the closet, that might be your last day of living. So him wanting this spell done, I was like, I can do that spell. But, you know, just because I do it, that's not a guarantee that this is going to come true. I mean, there was no gay characters that we knew of on TV at that time. And um, but I did the spell. And do I feel guilty about that spell? Yes, I do. Name a TV show that doesn't have gay characters. I mean, you can name EWTN. This show. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it's even commercials, too. So it's mm-hmm. it's really pervaded our entire culture. I mean, my, my kids used to love watching. Oh, honey, what's the name of those shows my kids watch? The Paw cartoons. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig and Paw Patrol. And both of those characters, both of those shows have gay characters on them now. 
Now, yeah, I heard that. Uh, Paw Patrol used to be one of the ones that we said was safe in our household. It was based. It t- taught the kids about, you know, how to how to respect laws and help out the community. Um, but they're now launching it, yeah, with a with a with a transgendered character or something like that. But so that was your biggest spell. But maybe let's go back in time a bit here, and let's let's go right to the beginning. How did you get into this thing? What was your your first spell? What what got you into Satanism in the first place? Because you were raised Baptist, correct? I was raised Baptist. I say that my parents were devout Baptists. That means they never went to church. <laughs> they so, believe that if they sent me and my brother to church, that should count. <laughs> but my parents also. They didn't give me an allowance. I had to work hard for my dollar. And then he would make me take my dollar to church and give it in the collection plate. So I was not a fan of God whatsoever because God took my dollar every week. (laughs) (laughs) But so uh, because I I remember some of this, like your first spells, like the first time you even got into this whole thing uh, was uh, was like a parlor trick, wasn't it? It was like a kid's game that uh, went on. I was playing um, at school. It was on the the first day of the fifth grade. This kid came up to me and he said, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. Well, the first break is at 1020. We don't have the internet back then. We don't have people saying, hey, if somebody ever says, meet me in the bathroom, don't go. Bad <laughs> things are going to happen. We didn't know any of that. And we're inside the school. What could possibly happen? So first, first break, I go in the bathroom and there's 49 other kids in there boys and girls in the same bathroom. Now, we had a brand new building at that time, and to turn out the lights in the bathroom, you needed a special key, and only teachers had that key. Well, some little child, some little genius figured out that if you take a paperclip and open it up and stick that in there, you could turn off the lights. Like, whoa, okay. So he says, we're going to turn out the lights And we're going to chant the Bloody Mary phrase a certain number of times. And if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. Okay. It doesn't sound believable, but why not? You know, we're, we're dumb. And, you know, just to let you know, it's not a game. It's a spell. And it's not the spirit of a burn victim. It's a demon. And to make it a spell work, you need intention, repetition, and demonic presence. So the people that say, I've tried Harry Potter spells over and over again, and they don't work. So they must not be real magic. But I've also talked to people that say they do work. The difference is, sometimes there's a demon present, sometimes there's not. By the way, did you hear J.K. Rowling's admit that Harry Potter was satanic? I yeah, I heard you talk about that on one of your podcast episodes, and I found the BBC Christmas episode that they the interview they did with her, and you can find our viewers can go and look that up. It was a it was what year was that? It was like nineteen ninety nine or or something like that. Two thousand nineteen. Okay, and so she she absolutely admitted that she did the research and she put real spells into the Harry Potter books. That was oh. that was. Her- the, 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 the interview about she did the research and one third of her research went into occult books and she put real spells in it. That one is from 1999. Okay. But, but she did one in 2019 on the BBC where the guy interviewing her says, don't you get most of your pushback from the United States? Because they say that Harry Potter 
and all the spells are satanic. And she says, they absolutely are satanic, John. I'm glad you gave me this format, this platform, so I could talk about it and admit it. I'm tired of lying to people. Harry Potter and the magic is indeed satanic. Tab, if you have any questions at all along the way, please feel free to jump in and, and ask any. But um, so you, so you're you're doing the Bloody Mary spell, so basically. We, we do, we, yeah, we do that, and the lights are out. It's all dark. There's 50 kids in there. We do this chant, and the demonic face appears, and 49 kids ran screaming out of the bathroom. One child, he's an idiot. I can call him that because it was me stood in that bathroom thinking, that is the coolest thing ever. I chanted the phrase. I said it X number of times. I made that face appear. Everyone else left the bathroom. Not my problem. I made this happen. Now, something to consider at this point is that that mirror world is not some distant place on the other side of the planet. That's not some wild fantasy castle somewhere that you've tapped into. It's not even the room behind the mirror. If you're seeing it in the mirror, it's standing next to you. You're seeing the reflection of a demon in the mirror. But because at 10 years old, you're not a teenager yet, so you don't know everything. (laughs) And you think it's some distant world. You're not realizing you're standing right next to a demon. Plus, I didn't know it was a demon. I thought it was the spirit of a burn victim. His face looks like it was melted. The body looks like it was charred. It was dark black. Uh, It had skin from the upper part of its lip draped over its teeth. But you could see its teeth. They were sharp. They were like fangs. And then, you know, you'd see parts of the skin attached to the bottom part of the mouth. So I thought it was the spirit of a burn victim. So then notes got sent home because... Some kids got trampled leaving the bathroom. And I had to take this note to my dad in the den. And my dad was like five foot nine and a half. That half was very important to him. <laughs> five foot nine and a half and probably about 300 pounds. And I was scared of my dad because he was huge and he wasn't the friendliest of sorts. And he calls me into the den and I give him the note. Now he usually takes a note from me signs his name to it, throws it back to me, never reads it. Today, though, he read it. And then in his normal loving tone said, have you been playing this game? Being terrified of my dad as I was, I told him the absolute truth. No. So that I wouldn't get in trouble at school, because they said on the note that you'd be suspended for three days. So I wouldn't get in trouble and get suspended for three days. I started doing the game at home because what could be safer than bringing a demon inside your house? And except when I played it at school, I played once a day. Now I don't play it at all at school. I play it at home. I wake up in the morning. I play the game. I go to the bathroom. I play the game. I wash my hands. I play the game. I dry my hands. I play the game one more time. I go eat breakfast, come back, brush my teeth again, play the game. I'm playing the game up to 20 times before I go to school. When I get home from school, my parents own two companies and they're working in their two companies. I'm playing this game up to 50 times a day. And every time I play it, the face shows up. Doesn't seem to, it's not communicating with me. It doesn't 
say anything, and it always looks like it's the same face. So it starts feeling almost like he's a friend, but I can't talk to him. I can't communicate. I mean, I guess I could have talked to him. I didn't think about that. I just knew he wasn't talking to me. Then at the same time as that, I'm playing campaigns of Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm always the wizard or the sorcerer in that. And But, you know, that's not real magic. You're rolling a die, and, you know, if you roll 16 or higher, your magic spell works. You know, it works in different increments. Obviously, if you roll a 20, it works perfectly. But it, I always rolled between a 16 and a 20 when rolling for magic. Now, if I'm rolling to do something, like, you know, I'm going to, we have a rope over the chasm. How do I want to climb that? You know, and I might roll a five. My character just died. <laughs> um, you know, whatever I'm trying to do, I'm going to roll between a one and a 16. But if I'm doing magic, I'm getting between 16 and 20. Every time. And so as I'm doing that, I started beginning to wonder, you know, I asked my parents and my Baptist preacher, is magic real? Is that something I can really do? And both groups said, no, magic is fake. Magic isn't real. That's not something you can really do. It's what's in movies or, I mean, I'm going to age myself. Doug Henning can do it. But <laughs> good Canadian, <laughs> but, but, you know, in real life, magic can't be done. Now, how odd is it that my Baptist preacher and my parents didn't read the Bible? Isn't that the Baptist preacher's job is to read the Bible? You'd think he gets paid to do that, but apparently he did not. In the Bible, there's approximately 33 verses where God tells you not to do magical things. I mean, if it was impossible to lie, thou shalt not lie wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. If it was impossible to steal or kill somebody, those wouldn't be in there either. So if it was impossible to do magic, he wouldn't tell you not to do it. I had a guy last year say that he would give me $10,000 if I could prove magic was real. So I had him come over to my house, open up the Bible, and I showed him all 33 verses. I'm still waiting for my ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you started by playing the game, but how did it how did it morph from a game into spells for you? Besides the the dice rolls, because, because there was you could be a wizard or a sorcerer in the game, mm -hmm. and I always did. I love the magic in that, but every time you do a magic spell, you got to roll the dice to get it. You got to figure out does the magic spell work. And I started noticing after a while that if there's a thousand things to do and two of them are magic, the other 998, I'm going to roll between one and 15. But if those two things are magic, those two are going to roll between 16 and 20. So outside of Dungeons and Dragons, what was the first time you did a spell that worked in in day-to-day -day life, in real life? I thought, I, I tried to figure out what I could do for a magic spell that would work where no one gets hurt. Like, I have a pop quiz every Friday. I don't like my pop quiz, 
but if I do a spell against the teacher, I'm just going to get another teacher who's to say they won't give two tests a week. Even if they give one, I'm still doing the same thing. I can't keep hurting the teacher. I don't like my PE coach. I'm a fat little kid. I'm lazy. I love candy bars. I don't like to run around the track. So if I get rid of the PE coach, we're going to get another PE coach. And they're going to make us do the same thing. They might make it worse. So I got to have something that I can do that makes magic real to me where I benefit, but I'm not hurting somebody else. So I did a magic spell for money because to me, I find some cash. Maybe somebody loses a couple of bucks, but I find it. What's the harm there? No one gets hurt. So I did a spell for money. And the next day I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. Can of tennis balls, nothing really I can do with that, but a $5 bill. This was 1976. Comic books are 15 to 20 cents. Candy bars are 15 to 20 cents. And penny candy is a penny. So I can get 500 pieces of candy with this. Score. So then, but five bucks could have been a coincidence. We had a tennis tournament in town. Somebody had to find that. It happened to be me. So the next Friday, I did another spell, same spell for money, and went out and went playing the next day. And I was walking. I had crossed the street onto another street, and I happened to look down and saw a $10 bill in the grass. All right. And it's been eight days. I've got $15. can nickel and dime my way up to being a millionaire. And as it is, that's 1,500 pieces of candy. That's a good score. <laughs> but this still could have been a coincidence. So then an idea occurs to me. Why don't I do the magic spell in the bathroom at home and then do the Bloody Mary chant, and when the face shows up, let it know I'm doing a spell for money? So I did that, and I held up cash in my hands, and held up magic stuff so it would know, hopefully it understands what I'm trying to say, that I'm doing a spell for money. And then I finished out my spell, and the next day I went out playing. And I was playing, we have this company in town called U.S. Sugar. And U.S. Sugar, back in the day, all of its parking lots were unpaved. So, And I love playing in those. So I'm playing in that parking lot, and something shiny catches my eye, and I run off to see what that is. And when I get there, there's nothing shiny there. But I find what looks like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. I put that in my pocket, and I go back to playing. And later that night, everybody's home, everybody's taking their bath, everybody's in bed, in their own bed, in their own rooms, and I'm in my room. I've got the lights are out. I got a sheet pulled up over my head and a flashlight in my mouth. And I'm unraveling my rubber bands, trying to see what my treasure is. And it looked like Monopoly money because I'd never seen a $100 bill. When I unraveled everything, I had 10 $100 bills. This is 1976. Everything I want is dirt cheap, and I am worth $1,000. Anybody think I went back to my parents and said, aha, you were wrong. I did a magic spell for money, and now I'm worth $1,000. 
No way. Nobody? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I myself. You know, knowledge is power, and I have power that my Baptist preacher and my parents don't have. My parents, have, they own two businesses, and they have to work hard to make the money they have. I did a magic spell and got a thousand bucks. Do you realize that if I did this every day for a year, I could buy a Lamborghini? Or if I did it every day for three years, I'd be a millionaire. And these are my trains of thought. Now, I'm thinking about it from a child's perspective. I'm not thinking about it like I'll never be able to afford the insurance on this Lamborghini. I'm going to have to tell my dad, hey, dad, by the way, I'm now worth $220,000 because of magic. I need you to take me to the Lamborghini store, which is 90 miles away from my house. Then I have to get the Lamborghini back to my house, which means my dad, who drives like an old man, has to drive my Lamborghini back home. I'm not thinking of any of those issues. I'm just thinking I could own a Lamborghini in a year. But I'm thinking I'm the luckiest kid in the world. I mean, my penny candy, I can get 100,000 pieces of candy. <laughs> I'll be the fattest kid in the world. <laughs> so what is the difference then between, like, when you're saying you're doing a spell versus, you know, sometimes I feel that we manifest the things that we want. Like I, I, my personal experience, I moved to St. Louis a little over a year ago um, because I was fed up with my job and the perfect job appeared. You know, I I'd quit and then four days later found this perfect job. And, you know, my, my friend Tim that I used to host a podcast with, he said once on one of the episodes that I have this incredible power to manifest the things that I, I my dreams, like I've gotten to work all my dream jobs and I've gotten to do these projects that I've, I've, when I set my mind to it, but I'm not necessarily, you know, chanting in a mirror doing spells that I know of. So where's the set is, is that, Am I manifesting a magic that I don't understand or is, well, is, have you ever read the book, the secret? Uh, no. In the secret, which was promoted by Oprah. Um, in that you draw basically on a, on an art, on like, uh, what's a poster board. You draw what it is you want to see. And then you almost pray to the powers that be whatever that is, which sounds satanic to me, but you pray to the powers that be that they grant you your wish. And you keep picturing it in your mind by looking at this poster board. She alleges that using the method of the secret, she got Barack Obama turned into the president because she kept putting up pictures of him and the White House on this poster board. However, I have a podcast where I tell people, the secret to getting everything you want. And the secret to getting everything you want is to make sure that what you want is what God wants for you. If what you want is what God wants for you, you'll have it. So maybe everything you wanted was stuff God wanted you to have. A, a bunch of years ago, <clears throat> I had um, come across some DVDs from a, a company called Disinfo. And they had a thing called DisinfoCon. And at it, they had um, a comic book artist by the name of Grant Morrison come mm -hmm. and do, do some talk. And he was talking about sigil magic. That's S-I-G-I-L 
and magic with a K at the end of it. And in his description of it, he tells basically how to cast a spell. And I don't want to go into the details of it because I really don't want any of my listeners to get curious. But one of the things that he did in it was somewhat like that, where you're basically putting an intention together and put basically making an illustration that when you take away the certain things, you make this little symbol. It looks kind of creepy, kind of demonic. And uh, so he, he talked about that. Is that similar then? I mean, to, you know, what Oprah was doing in the same sort of, do the mechanics work the same then? Well, sigils are satanic symbols or logos that when some people get possessed, satanic sigils appear on their body all over their body and you can watch them appear they appear as like welts or cuts on their skin but they weren't there before like when a priest is talking to them sometimes and they're complaining about well this happens to be at night or this happens to be during the day you'll see these sigils just appear suddenly in their skin and they're um you can look them up and like uh, the Necronomicon, which is uh, a spell book, and or the sat- Satanic Bible, or other books by Anton, not Anton LaVey, uh, uh, Aleister Crowley. And Aleister Crowley is the one that originally started spelling Satanic magic with a K. It was to differentiate it between sleight of hand or false magic. So you're a kid with $1,000 to your name at this point. And yes. as I, if, if I remember correctly, you, this became also lucrative for you and making you popular in terms of you were able to kind of reproduce this for other kids for money, you know, yeah. at, at school, right? right. How does I that would, go ahead? I would say that I could do, I, cause I had access to everything now. I have everything I wanted was at my fingertips. And kids were like wondering, how did I do that? And I wouldn't tell them how I did it, but I said I could do it for them. So I'll do something for you, and you'll end up with money. But we found that I couldn't do it for them specifically. I would have to do the spell for money, and it would come to me. But it was for them. So whatever amount they got, I would get 25% of and and how did that then parlay into actually joining a satanic coven and get, and going down that road? Well, yeah, because yeah. this is before the internet, so it's not like you could go and Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, D- Dungeons and Dragons was involved, if I remember correctly, right? Well, when I was ten years old, I was playing D anD D, and when I was eleven years old. I became the victim of a sexual assault at school at the hands of a female teacher. And what made me, you know, gave me more comfort and solace was doing more magic. So I dove fully into that. And then when I was 12 years old, there was this kid that used to play with us when we were 10 and he stopped going to school and he stopped going to church and he stopped playing D and D and we thought he moved. And then suddenly he came back. And we thought, oh, he must have moved back to town. And then we found out that he, he didn't move away. He stopped going to school because he was being homeschooled. And it turned out 
Now, we wouldn't have got this at the time, but looking back on it, he was a satanic recruiter. Mm. He went missing and underwent some heavy-duty training to learn how to be how to bring us into the satanic coven, basically. So he told us about these group that plays D&D every weekend, and they believe magic is real. Well, I know magic is real, so I'm kind of thinking I might go check these guys out. You know, and I get there, and they have uh, an in-ground barbecue pit, and they have an in-ground swimming pool that's pretty big. And, you know, at my house, we have a, like a 26-inch uh, console TV. Anybody old enough to remember that? Oh, yeah, those things were beasts. Those things have, were super heavy. You, you needed to hire a crew to get it from the living room to the kitchen. <laughs> it was an actual piece of furniture to my parents. <clears throat> so, you know, every Saturday I had to get out the pledge and dust down the, the, the console. And, um, you know, but at my house we could watch a G-rated movie or a PG-rated movie if it had been vetted by my dad first. So we watched a lot of Disney Mm -hmm. and, but over there you could watch a PG rated movie, an R rated movie. I didn't know R rated movies existed, an X rated movie, a triple X rated movie. We could watch triple X rated movies with kids in it, our age. And we were shown magazines that had kids in it, our age naked, you know, and I was used to looking, I had seen a couple of adult magazines like that. I'd never seen one with kids before. And now I'm looking at kids my own age in there. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know you could get stuff like this. And they told me that what happened to me when I was 11 was horrible. And that shouldn't have happened to anybody. But now I can get my power back and I can do this with anybody I want. Nobody can tell me no. And if somebody wants to do something with me and I don't feel comfortable, I don't have to do it. So they made me a porn star at 12 years old and we would have kids. Now, yes, I realized that it was pedophiles that were writing to us and saying that they wanted that all of us had a a stage name, you know, in the movie. So at the end of the movie, it would put our stage name up next to our likeness. So then if you wanted to see one of these people perform with somebody else, you would write in and tell them who you would want to perform and what you'd like them to do. And we would, they'd read us these letters and sometimes the letters are written in crayon. And since we were always, it was a group of kids watching the movies or a group of kids looking at the magazines. We assumed that everybody doing this was a group of kids. We had no idea that adults were watching these things. You know, we didn't know what pedophiles were. And, you know, we didn't know that it was pedophiles. We didn't even realize that we were working with pedophiles. You know, these people seemed to care about us, seemed to love us. And, you know, they're saying they're making us famous. And somebody would write in on a crayon and say what they wanted to see. And so we thought we were performing for, you know, like Amy, age 11, is saying what she wants to see. You know, or Bob, age 12 or 13, wants to see this. You know, so we're, we're thinking that that's what's happening. And, um, you know, it, 
turned out that wasn't actually the case. But so I'm doing that. Um, you know, I'm finding out about pills. My dad had told me that all drugs could kill you. Or I tried pot for the first time. That didn't kill me. And I smoked a cigarette, a cigar, and a pipe, and a bong. None of that killed me. I drank alcohol. He said the first time you drink, you could be an alcoholic. Well, I kept drinking. I was drinking almost every day. And, but I, there was times where I would go weeks without any alcohol. Or I wasn't dependent on it, so I knew I wasn't an alcoholic. And I tried these salad bowls where, you know, like one pill makes everything brighter. One pill makes you move faster. One pill makes you slow down. One pill makes everything slow down. You know, so it just depending on what you took as to how you felt. And sometimes you take two or three things at once just to see what happens. But again, none of this ever killed me. So I'm thinking my dad was either wrong or lying to me. You know, and I, mean, I found out my, my favorite drugs to do at the same time was to take acid and MDMA. And it's called candy flipping. And it, it felt amazing. And then um, taking mushrooms, that was a favorite, and smoking pot. And getting stuff from Canada was amazing. And getting buddies from Canada was amazing. I guess we're good at something, I guess. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so at what point then did it dawn on you that this was not just a, a social club? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was 12 years old. And this older kid ran up to me and he said, you know, you're in a satanic coven, right? And he just took off running and I laughed it off. But two or three weeks later, it just kept gnawing at me. And I had seen a couple of things at sleepovers. Like I saw some people walk through the house wearing black robes that looked like the Satanists I'd seen in a movie. And they were friendly. I mean, they spoke to me. And, but, you know, it didn't seem, you know, like, do you remember the old um, Adam West Batman? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So when Batman was on the screen, the screen was upright because Batman is upright and just. <laughs> but when the Penguin, the Joker, the Riddler, Catwoman were on the screen, the screen was tilted. That's right. These people are crooked. So I was realizing that. The lines are kind of blurred here because everybody seems like a good guy. You know, at my house, my mom during the summer gives you three meals a day and a snack if she's in a good mood. And the snack is going to be a fruit or a vegetable. You know, there's always something healthy to eat for dinner. And there's something healthy to eat pretty much every meal. But over there, I can live on candy bars and potato chips if I want to. I can get pizza every night and get Burger King every night or McDonald's every night or Domino's pizza, you know, whatever it is I want, I can have. And they have a pantry that is filled with like a hundred different boxes of candy. And I don't have to ask every time and I don't have to go in there and hoard them. I can just go in anytime I want one and try one. Some of the candies I know and some I don't, and I'm allowed to eat them anytime I want. It's like a Hansel so, and Gretel story <laughs> right there. Almost, except I, I didn't end up in an oven. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and in some ways, I did, though. Mm-hmm. In so, a coven. In a, in a coven, yes. <laughs> so 
I'm kind of worried after like two or three weeks, like what if I do belong to a coven? So I went to a member that I trusted and I said, Hey, you're going to laugh. I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? And he said, it is. And my heart sunk into my stomach. And I was like, am I a member? No. Would you like to be? You know, I have people at my talks that say, didn't you know right from wrong? Of course I knew right from wrong. God is the good guy. Satan's the bad guy. But in the Baptist church, we were taught Jesus defeated the devil 2,000 years ago on the cross. So the devil is no threat to us now. And Satan is afraid of the Baptist church. So Satan's afraid of me. Maybe that's why he's being so nice to me. He's afraid of what I might be able to do to him. You know, I'm 12 years old. I'm not thinking. So, you know, and I'm also thinking of the privileges I have and what I would lose if I quit. Now, also remember that I'm seeing my parents and God as the no police. You know, Dad, there's a new movie coming out. Can I go? No. Dad, the Moody Blues are coming to town. Can I go see him? No. Dad, can I? No. Dad, no. After a while, you just look at my dad. No. (laughs) And then the Bible, oh my gosh, don't get me started. The Bible is an entire book of thou shalt not. The Old Testament is full of thou shalt not. And if you do it, thou shalt not, he'll kill you. In the New Testament, thou shalt not, and then you don't inherit the kingdom of God. So either way, it's a book of thou shalt not. There's nothing fun left to do because God says no to everything. And then my parents say no to the rest of it. So even if God said yes to something, my parents would probably say no. So, but I've got the devil giving me what I want to eat, what I want to smoke, what I want to take, whatever I want to do. So, you know, I'm thinking you got to be 18 years old to buy porn. I'm 12. You got to be 19 to buy tobacco. I'm still 12. You got to be 21 years old to buy booze. Still 12. If I quit, I'm going to stop having sex. And I'm having sex sometimes every day, at least on the weekends. And I'm in film and people are writing in wanting to see me do stuff. I'm also getting illegal drugs. I don't know where to get those except in my coven. So if I quit my coven, I'm going to lose alcohol, tobacco, drugs, sex, fun. It's not worth quitting. Like, what do I have to do to join? Well, there's 13 steps involved to becoming a Satanist, and I've done almost everything. All I had left to do, I had to slice my left thumb and bleed onto a document. It's a five-page document, and I have to sign this document in three places in my own blood. Jesus died for everybody, but not me. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. On the final page of a five-page document, I agree to sell my soul to the devil. It's at this time during my talks that I stop the talk and I ask the person next to me, usually I have an assistant, what kind of car they drive. 
And then I ask, well, see, I ask first, how many people believe you can sell your soul? And a bunch of people raise their hand. And then I ask what kind of car this person drives. And I ask who can legally sell me their car. And everybody knows they can't. Nobody can legally sell me their car. Why not? Because it doesn't belong to you. That's the same reason you can't sell your soul. You don't own it. God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You don't own it. You can't loan it. You can't lease it. And you certainly cannot sell it. You may have heard that Satan's a liar. I am here to confirm. If Satan says good morning, get a second opinion. <laughs> um, we're, uh, so, Tab, do you have any questions at this point then of the, of the process? Because he's so he's. He's going through this process. He's supposed to. He's supposed to sell his soul to become a part of the coven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm really kind of curious what, um, what the coven, like, what is a day to day process? You know, as a business, what? what are, I mean, what are you doing to? Aside from evidently making child porn. Yeah. Um. Well, I make child porn. Um, somebody's constantly filming me doing something. Or we watch TV. We watch movies. You know, we watch, sometimes we're watching porn, but sometimes we're just watching action adventure or whatever. It's kind of like um, a family youth center in a sense. I mean, lots of kids are going in and out. Um Sometimes a child will show up that just has heard that if your parents can't make their rent payment or their mortgage payment, these people can help. Or your dad got his car repoed and needs a new car. And I don't know what these people did, but they had money to help people with these things. Hmm. You know, they supplied families with food. You know, they they were nice. You know, I evil because they're always helping somebody do something that's the same thing sort of thing with like freemasons right so for with freemasons if you look at the bottom of the floor of a free of a masonic lodge it's black and white and a lot of that they say is like you know a representation of good and evil and so what they'll do is a lot of their good works so to speak out in the community to give a really good reputation to themselves but that in their eyes it's the good works is almost like credit so that they can do the bad stuff that that goes along with it right uh behind closed doors am i you know barking up the right tree here i mean yeah and the the black and white that's on their floor that's a uh, illuminati okay so 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 tell me about the tell us about the process then when you be when you became a member officially and you thought you were selling your soul um I've heard you describe it before of a quote unquote satanic baptism. And if you describe it to us, maybe have the listeners here kind of think to yourselves, how many music videos or movies you've seen that depict this very act. (laughs) So, so maybe kind of walk us through that. There's a, about 150 coven members and they've all shown up for this. And I'm in a white robe signifying I'm losing my innocence and they baptized me in a giant um, demon's head baptismal 
and it's filled with pig's blood, human blood, and human urine. And they do full submersion. You come up and you go into another room, take off that robe, take a shower, and then you come back out in a black robe with the cowl raised. And it signifies you've been baptized into a world of darkness. And you sit in a chair and you're handed a wheel with a crucifix in it. You spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice. And then you hold on to the arms of the crucifix and they read off the document you signed the night before. Then you show them your thumb to show that it was indeed your blood that you signed in. And then you break the arms downward, denouncing Christ. And what you're left with looks like a peace sign. And they take the document and intertwine it with that. And they say that this is going to be locked in a vault and it will be locked in there forever. And then when you die, eventually you're going to go to hell. What were some of the things that were said on the document that, uh, you know, like what were, was it a, like a, like a vow or, or what was, what was the what final kind of thing you, you agree to sell your soul to the devil. So it has your name printed and it says, you know, I, Zachary Alexander King, uh, do affirm and attest and do uh, sell my allegiance to the devil who will grant me certain terms or in certain terms will grant me my request. And I didn't make a request, but they said I could use that for in the future, you know, because you, when, when you, at some point, when you're going to be asking him for something and he says, why should I grant you anything? Say, I sold you my soul. So do you think a lot of celebrities and, and powerful people have done this very act themselves? Everybody that's a rock star, pretty much, have, if you don't agree to sell your soul to the Illuminati, no one knows who you are. So how does this progress? You're, you're, you're brought in officially. You're, you're what, 12 years old at this time? I just turned 13. 13. And so how long between then before you kind of ascended the ranks and became... Uh, a high wizard. Well, I was 13 for, for coming in officially into the coven. Um, I was in Kitty Born for four and a half years, and then I aged out. I grew a mustache, and nobody wanted to see me perform anymore. <laughs> um, I graduated high school, and I know I've got to go find another satanic coven. And I thought, you know, they're, they're not going to advertise it in the town square. How am I going to find another satanic coven? And I found it because they advertised it in the town square. Still, <laughs> there's, there's no internet still. And the next college I went to had the, um, the, they were open on Wednesday, officially opened on Wednesday. That was the first day of classes. And on Wednesday, also, the student union was open. So there's the Baptist and the Catholic Student Union, the Republican, the Democrat, and the Monarchy Party Student Union, the Satanic and the Wiccan Student Union. So I went to those meetings, and this was a bunch of kids away from home for the first time without adult supervision, and thought that Satanism was all about getting high, getting stoned, and getting laid. And, um, 
you know, I've been doing this stuff since I was 12. I don't need a satanic covenant for that anymore. And these guys made up magic spells on the spot. They're like, I'm going to pop this can of beer open, take three sips, and then circle my head 12 times, slam the rest of it down in one gulp, and throw it 12 feet. And if it lands in that garbage can on the first shot, tomorrow I'm going to be given a brand new truck. Does that work? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's like making it up as they go. You know, and then these guys would, we'd hold these meetings on Saturday night. You know what they did on Sunday? Went to church. church. Because they weren't real Satanists. They were in a club. And now they're going to church because they got to get sanctified. So they're nice and clean by the next time they come back to this club. So... I wasn't looking for that. I had read a book at the library and it mentioned Bohemian Grove in it and it mentioned the Illuminati and it mentioned a satanic coven, but it didn't mention them by name. It just said they're out to rule the world. And I was like, why can't I find these guys? So I called (laughs) my first coven back and I said, okay, I read this book. This is what it mentioned. And it mentioned there's a satanic coven out to rule the world. And you guys seem to be in the know about everything. I thought maybe you would know these guys. And they said they're called World Church of Satan or Satan's World Church. Two different names, same coven. And it's huge. And I was like, well, we have 150 members. We're pretty big. He was, okay, yeah, for our small town, 150 members is huge. But this place is huge it's like just call them give me your name and take your id when you go because you'll have to have an id to get in okay so i call them they call me back a few days later and i told them what i was interested in where i'd come from and what i was looking for and they told me to come to this address and it's like a giant warehouse and, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like you're going to park, you're going to see parking lots leading up to it. You're probably going to have to park in one of those parking lots and then walk a, a while to get to this building. So I drove up to the building and I got out and I went and asked if these were the guys. And they said, yes, but I'm going to have to park my car probably about two miles down that road. So I did that. I, I looked until I found a place to park parked my car there and walked two miles back and um, presented my ID at the door. And they looked at my name and checked their list and found me and told me to come on in. And I went in, there's like um, a live band in part of it. And then there's a DJ in another part of it. There's a dance floor. There's tables that has food like, snacks and chips and things like that and soda and then there's another table that's got all kind of booze like hard liquor and beer and then there's another table that has like hot mushrooms um some kind of pills and then there's another table that's got um like crack cocaine and uh, uh heroin stuff i'm like oh my gosh so some of this place is for me and some of this stuff is not and then there's uh 
tables and chairs where people are sitting down, eating, talking. Then there's couches and love seats, people engaged in conversation. And then there's beds in the back corner, like a bunch of beds pushed pretty close together. There's like an orgy happening, all these people having sex. And I mean, that's interesting. You know, you know what? It's been my experience that the people that are the fastest ones to take off their clothes are the least likely people you want to see naked. <laughs> so and, and that was the case there. People that were having an orgy are people you would not want to look at naked. And, um, but you know, I'm looking at all these people. I'm just examining the whole room. Now, when I was 13 years old, I was at a sleepover one night and I saw this guy. I got up to go to the bathroom. It's like three o'clock in the morning. And there's this guy walking through the house who's got corpse paint on his face and a tuxedo. He looked like a member of Kiss wearing a tuxedo. And a he, top hat, right? And a top hat. Yeah. And he makes eye contact with me and he winks at me. And I smiled and I went to the bathroom. And then the next day, I asked my covenant members, hey, I saw this guy in here last night. Who was that? Oh, you dreamed that. That didn't happen. All right. So now my coven's lying to me. No big deal. I'll just store that in the back of my head somewhere. And one day I'll find out who that was. So one day happened when I was 18 years old at this party. And I saw a guy, not the same guy, but a similar look, walk past me. And we made eye contact. He didn't wink at me. And he just kept going through the party. It looked like he was on his way somewhere. But I grabbed somebody next to me and I said, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And he was like, oh, who was in charge of your coven? I said, "Uh, we had a really big coven. We had 13 high priests and priestesses. We had between 125 and 150 members. And, uh, yeah, we had 13 high priests and priestesses. It was who did the magic. I said, the mage. So it was a guy in a red robe. And he's like, okay. He said, well, we have 1.1 million members worldwide. We're run by a CEO and a board of directors. And that guy's the high wizard. He's like, he does the official magic? He goes, yeah, he does the official magic. It's like, how can I become a high wizard? He goes, I don't know exactly what you have to do, but I know that you have to get Satan's attention because Satan handpicks the high wizard. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so how did you get Satan's attention then? Well, abortion is a satanic sacrifice. And I found that out in my previous coven. I started doing my, I did my first assisted abortion when I was 14 years old. Uh, we had a sex party. It was all the male members between 12 and 15 and a female member that was 19. And her purpose was to get pregnant and then to have an abortion like nine months later. So, and when they first told me that, I was like, well, and then I went home to look up the word abortion because I didn't know what it meant. And my dictionary was so old, the word abortion wasn't in it. I went to the library. There were two books on abortion. Both books were about two inches thick. And, you know, I was like, I survived through school on Cliff Notes. I'm not reading that book to find out what one word means. I went back to my coven and I was like, hey, I hear that 
I've got to commit an abortion, but I don't know what that means. He goes, oh, you're killing a baby in the womb. I was like, what? Is that legal? Oh, yeah, in the womb, legal, out of the womb, murder. All right. So they gave me a scalpel and told me to practice on an apple, an orange, or a ball of Play-Doh. Now, on the one hand, that guy first told me, you're killing a baby in the womb. But then for the next nine months, I heard, it's not a baby, it's a lump of cells, it's just some tissue, don't worry about it. They're going to take some tool and stick it up in the woman, suck the baby out, she'll be chopped up, chopped out, chopped up in a, like a vacuum cleaner with teeth, you won't ever see the baby. It's no big deal. But then when I got there, it was a late-term abortion, and in a late-term abortion, I don't know how much detail you want here because if, if your listeners aren't used to hearing this, this might be shocking. I think it would be a benefit to them to hear it because I think a lot of people have a fanciful uh, modernist opinion of, of the act. And I think that I think a dose of reality will help. Okay. Go ahead. So in a late term abortion, you turn the baby around. So it's delivered breech. It comes out feet, feet first and they bring out the entire body except the head. They deliver everything but the head. So the head is still inside the woman. They take a, a pair of sharp scissors and they hit the baby at the base of the skull, and then they use the scissors to open up the skull, and then they stick a vacuum into the baby's skull and suck the brains out, and that causes the skull to collapse in on itself. Good Lord. And then they took the baby out. <clears throat> the baby's dead at this point. They took uh, what looked like tongs with teeth, and they ripped the baby apart and threw it out to some women that are swaying nude on the floor, chanting our bodies ourselves, and they consumed the flesh of the baby. I'm definitely not letting my son listen to this episode, but... Um, How old so is he? you He's 11. Yeah, don't listen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you partake in this. You've done this now... How many times to, did it take to get Satan's attention? Because I know you became a high wizard that's in the title of this episode. Probably about six times. Okay. And I got in with, there was, high wizards are the ones that do these as part of a hex. So if you're going to do a hex in this coven, you have to do an abortion. And so I got in with the high wizards, and you can't be with two at the same time. But if you're not a high wizard, you can be with, you know, as many as you can hook up with. So I was talking with the high wizards and telling them that I wanted to be one of them. And the high wizard that I talked to said, well, you just have to do a few more of these. You know, once Satan sees that you're the one participating in the abortion, then you shouldn't have any problem. So I did six of those. And then just before turning 21, I got this postcard in the mail that said that I was being summoned before the CEO and board of directors. But it didn't say why. And sometimes when that happens, you're never seen or heard from again. 
So I lived in Florida at that time. So I went and I bought myself a six hour nine millimeter and a bunch of clips and a bunch of ammo. And uh, it's called a, a clip belt. And it, it holds a bunch of clips mm-hmm. and you strap it to yourself. And, you know, when the crap might hit the fan, you, you want to be prepared. So you're going to go all John Woo. <laughs> Just, right. Yeah. All, all I got to do now is get some pigeons and some doves and some slow-mo. Yeah, doves <laughs> and slow-mo and I'll be all set. So, um, they call me into this room and I'm armed. I'm, I'm ready. If, if the crap hits the fan, I'm there. And, you know, I've got these extended clips and they usher me into this room. It's got a very plush leather chair. There's no way anybody can be behind me. I sit in that. And this guy walks over to a wall with a black curtain on it and pulls this big plush rope. And when it moves out of the way, there's nine costumes of the High Wizard on the wall. And he tells me, you've been chosen to be the next High Wizard. Does this seem like a position you would like to do? And I said, yes. And so then they, they also had this group of photos. They're like 24 inch by 24 inch that showed face paint ideas that I could use or I could choose my own look. And then they handed me this very hokey eye wizard handbook. It, it's as hokey as the name sounds. <laughs> it, there's a, a, it's blue, light blue cover. And it has like a cartoon of a high wizard. And I open that up and on the first page, it says, no one can tell you what to do. And as a, what exactly does that mean? And he says, well, let's say somebody pays you a million dollars to do a spell. He says, they're actually paying us, not you, but we want you to do it. I can ask you, I can tell you what it is they want. Uh, I can be requested of you. We can plead you to do it, but ultimately I can't order you to do it. And if you don't want to do it, all you got to do is say no. But my perspective was, if you were paying a million dollars, you deserve your spell. No matter what you pay for it, you deserve to have a spell done. Now, as it was, I turned down one spell in my life. But, you know, everything else, I was okay with. Now, they keep track of your stats. For you to be successful, your spell has to take place in 90 days. So no matter what the spell is, if you hired me to get you a new car, but you wanted it only through magic and you got a car in 91 days, I failed. Unless the spell is for timing and it's going to take place sometime in the future. So like the spell for all gay characters on every TV show, um, that was done in the future. So I didn't have just 90 days. I had whenever it takes place, it takes place. But you get credit for it as soon as you do it because they don't think it's fair that it's going to happen maybe in 10 years and it it goes against you. 
So you get credit for everything that's for in the future. And then everything else has to happen within 90 days. So, so they're keeping like baseball stats for you at this point in time. It's, you know, when they're, when they're hiring you, it's based on your success rate. Right. And, and you had a pretty good one. I was 91% accurate. Did you get punished in any way for the 9% when you didn't get anything or no? No. no. What was the average was that, amongst the other high wizards then? Was that, sorry, the, go ahead. The 9%, is that 9% because they happened in 91 days, or is that 9% because they actually didn't work? Uh, it could be either one. I don't think that you, um, that it's not known which way. That would have been interesting, too. Yeah. But as far as I know, they didn't keep track of it. We had guys that had been a high wizard for like 30 years or 40 years, and those guys were still like in their upper seventies or eighties for the percentage. You know I mean? I was 91% accurate. I only did it for 12 years. So you, over the course of those 12 years, you, you, cause you brought up about the Bilderberg being kind of, or not the Bilberg, but the Bohemian Grove being a, a bit of an enticement for when you were looking for that specific group, you went to the Bohemian Grove multiple times, correct? Correct. Um, eight, 18 times in 12 years. I know that sounds like that's impossible, <laughs> but it's open four times a year. Okay. And then if you're a billionaire, you can go anytime you want as long as you take your own wait staff. Now, I'm I'm a tinfoil hatter. I knew about the Bohemian Grove a long time <laughs> ago. But maybe you could give some of the listeners who have never heard of it before, just a little bit of a grasp on what the Bohemian Grove is. I can't believe somebody has not heard of it. Um, You'll be surprised. <laughs> you know, look up Alex Jones and, and look up um, his video from Bohemian Grove. I mean, he's basically mainstream. Now he's kind of fringe, but he's still mainstream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had a TV show for a while. Um, you know, it's for the world's elite, um, political figures, um, some religious figures, a um, couple of rock stars sometimes, porn stars, gay porn. Um, gay I remember hearing, yeah, Richard Nixon had some choice yeah. words about the Bohemian Grove. He doesn't like, he didn't like going to it because he's a bunch of homos, he said, you know, or something like that. Okay, he didn't it like worse. it. It was worse than that. Use the F word. I'm fine with that, but uh, our only, our only stream right now is with YouTube. So I don't want them to dice me right away. <laughs> so, okay. but uh, if we haven't gotten close to it already, but you met Bill Clinton there, correct? I, I met Bill Clinton and also saw his wife there. Mm. And she was telling him that they had gotten some papers signed and it was great news. And my security staff ran up to her with their guns pulled out, ordered her to get down on her knees, which she refused to go down until the gun was poking her in the forehead. And then she dropped down to her knees and was looking at Bill like, what are you doing? She's a woman. You can't be there. (laughs) She's a woman. You can't be there. Although there's no real proof that, you know, she is one. <laughs> and, um, so 
she was upset and I asked Bill who that was and he said that's my wife and I said do you love your wife because I'm sure my guys would like to shoot her and he said she's my wife and I love her and I said okay have her escorted off the property and make sure she doesn't come back so they escorted her off the property and then it was about 10 minutes later this guy runs up to us it's one of my guys and he said um the guys need some clarification. So I thought it was clear. He goes, well, you know, um, there's some argument between the guys. You said escort her off the property and make sure she doesn't come back. Does that mean kill her? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I said, Bill? And he goes, I love my wife. I said, okay, no, don't kill her. He goes, uh, the guys are going to be disappointed. I said, well, they work for me. So the answer is no. This was before he became president, correct? Yes. Was it before he became governor of Arkansas? It was 92. Wow. Okay. So a spell was made for him to become the president? Um, I don't think a spell was made. He was working with the Illuminati. Hmm. So they, they told me when I was there, when I was there the first time, which was 87, they told me that every president but one was put there through the Illuminati. Who's the one? Come on now. Oh, this, this one. Yeah, well, now, but in 1987, um, Kennedy. No. Tab, you got a guess? Uh, Ronald Reagan. I, I met Reagan when I was there in 87. He did not seem overjoyed to meet me. <laughs> he reached his hand out I reached my hand out and then he looked up and saw me and pulled his hand back did you have the like full gear on with the corpse paint and stuff yeah yeah, okay. yeah if you're going to be working you got to have the look it's a, right. it's a uniform not a costume right right so um, one more guess come on guess three times don't be don't be scared it's the worst thing <sighs> that can happen Wrong. who was the other one that what okay so only one president no what okay what year was bohemian groove started then was it in the 60s or something oh my god no it's I'm okay. about years old. was it jimmy carter it is jimmy carter jimmy carter <laughs> old solar panels himself interesting so the you went that nobody is dumb enough to vote for this redneck peanut farmer. So they didn't well, they push the one term. <laughs> one term. Well, I did so, a lot of damage in that one term. <laughs> yeah, he did. And then, so, um, and then the next time their candidate came up, they pushed him like nobody's business, you know, and that was Reagan. Interesting. So, okay. So you went to Bohemian Grove, but you also, went to the Bilderberg group meeting. Was that only once or did you go multiple times to the Bilderbergs? I think I went four times. I get the impression Bohemian Grove is more of a domestic thing, like an American thing, whereas Bilderberg is more of an international thing. But you have right. a very you have a very interesting story about one of the times that you were at the Bilderberg group and it did, involved another bill that's quite famous. <laughs> Maybe you could share with us that, that story of that other bill. 
I had gone to this meeting, uh, would have been in, I think, Potsdamer Platz, Germany, in around 91-ish. And we were all waiting for Bill Gates to show up. And he was supposed to be bringing us some kind of news about something. And something that was a big deal to him, but no one else seemed to know what it was on. And we were talking about the the topic at the time was coming up with a pandemic where we could shut down the entire world and it would cause where every country would quarantine itself and what country would start this whoever it is has to be the bad guy so they were talking at that time about it being either russia or china and just seeing who would accept the money to let it be done and then it would be released and they were talking about the different ways it could be released like should it be something that's airborne should it be something that's put in water is it something that we can breathe is it something we're going to drink? Could it be in the food supply? You know, what are the different ways that we can get this? What year and was that, this, by the way? What year was this? 91. 91. Okay. I think it was 91. So then as we're, we're, we're covering these things, um, they're saying that for the most part, it's just going to be like a regular flu bug. So, but... Elderly people and young babies are going to die from it, just like they would from any flu bug. It's not going to be any big deal. But because it spreads around the world, it's going to cause a panic, and we're going to need a vaccine. Now, at this time, before we get to the vaccine part, Bill Gates arrives. And he he has an entourage with him, and all these men are carrying trays with a dome lid on it, And he says that he's brought something for us all to try. Now, I've got a big tub of Dr. Peppers in this room, and I keep getting up to get those. That was your drink, right? That was your drink of choice? Yeah, that's the the wide mouth bottles. It's like a 20-ounce bottle. You still like your Dr. Pepper? I do, but now I'm diabetic, so now I have to drink sugar-free. But to me, I think that diet Dr. Pepper tastes better than any other diet drink. It tastes almost the same. So does um, Diet Mountain Dew. Mm. Diet Dew tastes almost like regular Mountain Dew. So I've got my my Dr. Peppers out, and he comes in and takes the, the lids off of all these things, and he's drinking one, and he says it's adrenochrome. If you drink this, it'll help you live longer. Everybody's looking at it. Everybody's got a scowl on their face. Most of the people smell it, and they're like, ugh. And they put one down in front of me. And he's telling us all to take a drink. And I'm standing up at this time. Half the room is standing up. Half the room is sitting down. And he then orders everybody to stand up. So I sat down. And I put one leg up on the table and crossed my other leg. So they're crossed at the ankles. And he tells me that he's ordering me to take a drink. But what's rule one of the high wizard handbook? <laughs> no, no one, one can tell me what to do. Exactly. And 
you know, we're, we're, we're I would imagine all the high wizards are narcissistic. <laughs> all of us, you, you can't put two of us in the same room at the same time because our <laughs> egos are too big for two of us to be in there. At the same it's time. like a Highlander fight. <laughs> the only one. Yeah. So, so um, he's getting mad that I, I'm not obeying him. I'm not listening to him. And he starts demanding that I take a drink and he takes a drink and now you take a drink. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I took the lid off my Dr. Pepper and chugged it, put it back down. And he starts flailing his arms all around. His voice goes up about four octaves. He's stomping his legs up and down. He's a little child throwing a tantrum. And, you know, I order you to do this and this and this. You have to do what I say. You have to do what I say. You And the voice is going higher and higher as he goes. He's almost screeching, you have to do what I say. And I rub, I waved my hand in the air. And suddenly he couldn't move. He could still talk, but he can't move. And he's like, what, 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 what is this? What is this tomfoolery? I can't move. And everybody now looks at him and looks at me. Some of the guys that are on the other side of the table are smiling. <laughs> they seem happy that I've just done this. No one's saying anything. But, and then somebody says something about, wait, we still got to talk about the vaccine. And he declares loudly, you get me a virus, I'll give you a vaccine. I will kill millions of people with a vaccine. I pick up my Dr. Peppers and I leave the room. As they call me when the child stops, stops having a tantrum. And... I go down the hall, get in the elevator, go down to the, the basement where my car is, and um, you know, I have a limo down there, and they give me a ride back to the hotel. Uh, we walk into my, my room of the hotel, and the phone's ringing. And I have my guy answer the phone, and he says, um, he's cussing you out. I said, hang up. So we hang up on him. I get help getting out of my uniform and then I get my makeup taken off and then I take a shower and I watch a little TV, plug the phone in, it's still ringing. They answer the phone, still cussing. So we hang up again and I take a short nap and then I go into town to get something to eat and, you know, some discotheques everywhere. So I go dancing a little bit, drink some, come back. It's like, at least four hours later. And I come back to the hotel room, get my hot tub for a while and relax a little bit, watch a little news. Now it's been about six hours, but we plug the phone back in and the phone rings and my assistant answers it. And I said, is he willing to apologize? He's asking to apologize. So I walked over and took the phone and he gave me a very nice apology. And I said, okay. And I waved my hand again. He could move again. I guess he collapsed into a chair and thanked me for doing that. And then the next day when I went back, he wasn't there anymore. He never showed back up. But they said that he had put in his two cents worth about the, the vaccine and what he could do. 
And so they were talking about, you know, um, something that would cause the whole world to quarantine, a lockdown. Um, countries would shut down so nobody could visit any, any other country. And the vaccine is where the people would die. And the, the, quarant- the, the vaccine was a lot of people that would kill right away. But some of the world would live for a couple of years and then they'd die. Now, and just if you took it under the age of 18, it would make you sterile. Wow. So uh, just to be just for anybody who's kind of joining us later on this, you spoke about this at a talk in 2017. And you have people that will vouch for the fact that this is something that you've brought up in the past uh, before yeah. this even all went down. Yeah, it was at a. um I think it was called the Everything Catholic Conference, and it would have been in December 2017, hosted by Karen Japson. And there was a guy named, uh, there was a couple named Joy and Patrick Campbell, and they're uh, Catholic speakers, and they organize a lot of events. And they had me speak last August um, 2022. And he had me tell that story. And then he announced to the room, he said, now I know it seems like it's convenient for him to tell that story now because we've had the quarantine and the lockdown and the, the virus and the, the vaccine. He said, but I first heard this story in December 2017 before anything ever happened. And he told us all this stuff. And he said, don't take the vaccine. If you're under 18, it'll make you sterile. If you're over 18, it'll kill you. And that's what it's designed to do. It's not designed to save your life. So he said, and then six people that took the vaccine that were at that conference who were warned not to take it, took the vaccine and they died. So when this was all going on, you, you like you, when you were locked down and everything, was it just kind of like, here we go. Is there, here we go. You know, here we go. Did he talk about how it's going to end? <laughs> I mean, like what happens next? <laughs> no, it, it'll be, it's supposed to keep morphing into something worse and worse. Mm. And you know, the, the U S the, the, the different governments, will end up forcing people to take the vaccine. So I I don't want to pivot too quickly away from that, but I feel like I want to there's a very important part of this I, I hope you're making you on. I hope you're making a copy of this this episode because this will not last on YouTube. No, it, I, it'll be going up on BitChute uh and and a few other places after that. I'm going to make sure I get a copy of it right after we're done. Okay. Um but what I will say this, um, it's really important to me for this show to pivot because I found out about you through Catholic circles and to some Protestants so, that are anti-Catholic, they think that a lot of Catholics are secret Satanists. We're not. I would love then to to discuss with you then how you became Catholic and how you, so you, you, Hit a point, you were a high wizard for 12 years, you said. 12 years. 
And so you decided to just, you were, you were done with it too much. Dr. Pepper who was, yeah. <laughs> like, I haven't met Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Um, I had done 146 assisted abortions total. And how many can you do before you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I'm expected to sin. You know, if you had given me an examination of conscience form, which I didn't see until after I'd been Catholic for a couple of years. <laughs> and, you know, because I knew I was going to confession for one thing. And then mm-hmm. suddenly my, my wife at the time, she's my ex-wife now, she gets this, this form off the wall. I said, what's that? She was examination of conscience form. Like, what's that? It's a list of sins. I said, well, let me get one. So I got one, and I know that I'm there to confess one thing. And I start reading stuff that I didn't know were sins. And these are only mortal sins. These are the sins that will send you to hell. And I'm like, what the? Because I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. I've never confessed any of this stuff. I didn't know this was, I didn't know I was sinning. Good old Catholic catechism for you. <laughs> yeah. like, so, so if I'd have died at that time, I'd have gone to hell. You know, so I had to, now, we now have that. That same examination of conscience form is on my website. You know, so if anybody wants to, to PDF, if you want to download it and print it, you know, and go to confession with that next time, it's really good. You know, and like I said, there's sins on there you didn't know were sins. I'll get you that know? link from you and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, put that into, I'll edit it in as part of the description later. But All you, right. so you decided you've, you've, you've kind of burned out on, on yeah, abortions. It, was, it wasn't just the abortions. It was the, you know, I'm sleeping with like a different hooker every night and that is paid for. That's the perks of being the high wizard. You know, mm-hmm. they'll pay for a lot of stuff. They'll buy your booze. They'll buy your drugs. They'll buy your sin. So they're, they're supplying me with a different hooker every night, you know, and after a while, you know, it's like, what hooker you want tonight? I don't want a hooker. You know, it's like, no, no, let, let me, let me get you somebody. No, I'm good. You know, and I just wanted to lay there and hold somebody and go to sleep. I didn't want to have sex with anybody else. I didn't want to drink anymore. You know, by the time when you're at that point, when you're drinking, if you drink enough to get drunk, you've got alcohol poisoning. You know, taking enough drugs, you're going to OD. You know, it's just nothing was fun anymore. You know, you, there's no movie out there that has enough violence to satisfy you. And there's no movie that has, and sex you're not interested in anymore. Like you burned out on sex, you're burned out on sinning. You don't, even though I'm a Satanist, I don't go to church. I don't go to regular church. I'm tired of sinning. I'm trying to fill a void and I can't fill it. No matter what I do, no matter what sin I do, nothing fills it. And I'm certain that my body was crying out for God, but I didn't know that. The last thing I knew about God is it was a big book of thou shalt nots. Mm-hmm. God didn't like anybody to have fun. If you, if you could give God a title, it was stick in the mud. And, you know, and my parents were the same way. And there's just, I was tired of being tired. <laughs> and I thought, go ahead. Oh, so the, it's not like, 
it's is it like the mafia though if you're if you get out i mean they pull you back in or what like how does it you 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 have three ways to get out you can commit suicide you can die of natural causes or you can be murdered and all three ways you end up dead and in hell and i did not want to go to hell i knew that i had sold my soul to the devil when i was 13 but when i was 13 i wasn't positive that hell was real i wasn't positive there was a heaven you know the 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 baptists believed that the satanists were scared of them and satan's is scared of them you know and and the jesus defeated the devil on the cross 2000 years ago right so you know but now i'm pretty certain that satan is real you know, yeah, I've seen after all your experience things. yeah i've seen too many things to think that he's not real and if he's real then hell's most likely real and i know there's no way i can ever go to heaven i can't even go to god i mean that's another thing that document said was that i could never go to god even if i wanted to so i'm damned no matter what i do i just don't want to be doing this anymore you know i don't care if i escaped uh, out of zimbabwe and i'm pumping gas I just don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, I planned my escape for about eight months. You know, they watched, I have a bank account that has $87 million in it. None of it's mine. It, it, it is the satanic coven's money. So I can't take anything out of that, that account. And then I have my own personal banking account that most of the time has about $235 in it. And every cent of that is watched as well. So I started going to the grocery store, buying groceries and take out an extra 10 bucks or go to the gas station, buy a bar of candy and take out an extra 10 bucks. And I just kept doing that until I had filtered a nice amount out, but I didn't think it was enough to catch anybody's attention. And then I got a doctor's appointment like three weeks in advance And my doctor was on, he would get up on the interstate and get off at the final exit. So I just figured I would just keep driving from there. And so I took all my credit cards with me, but I cut them up along the way. And I drove to that exit and then I just kept going. And I drove till I ran out of gas. And I spent the night in my car, hitchhiked to the next town, sold my car for scrap and got a Greyhound bus ticket. And I was gonna go into Canada. And because I didn't do many satanic things in Canada. So I thought it might be a safe place to hide. And I got rejected at the border. This was 1999. So 9-11 had not happened yet, but they wanted me to have a passport. I'm like, it's just Canada. I live right there. (laughs) Yeah, and they're like, no, 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 you gotta have a passport. So I got rejected at the border and Greyhound let me pick a place that I wanted to go and they take me anywhere. So I opened up the Atlas, closed my eyes, did the Protestant thing. Let's see what God wants to tell me today. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. So I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's where I'm from. That's my hometown. So I lived off the grid for one year and then back on the grid for two years. Um, I bought a car while I was there. Um, I lived in Broken Arrow. 
Yeah, me oh. too. <laughs> right. um, I got a fun story about Broken Arrow. It was during the snow, during the the heavy snow. Mm-hmm. This would have been 2002, I think. Could have been 2001. And me and some friends got in a Jeep, and we were using a tow rope for like a ski, for like mm-hmm. skis, but we were on a snowboard, and they were pulling us through the snow. And we're going down the city, the, the side streets, playing, you know, being, being drugged on a snowboard. Yeah. We, we passed a police car and they waved at us and just let us keep going. <laughs> and then about five minutes later, they pull us over and they walked up to us and they said, Hey, you know, we we're going to just let you go. But then we realized if you had an accident, you might say, We passed a police car and they didn't pull us over. And then we'd all get in trouble. So you can't do this anymore. And uh, you have to promise us. You won't do it. And we're like, what? It was just put up your right hand and solemnly swear that you will not do. And they had a name for this, what it was. And we <laughs> would not do this anymore. So we all raised our hands and we did it. We swore, solemnly swore we wouldn't do it. And then they told us that there was an open house at the police station right now. And if we go up there, we can get some uh, hot dogs and hamburgers and brownies and donuts and hot chocolate and some coffee. So be, be our honored guests and go up there. <laughs> so we all get back in the Jeep and this guy tells us, Hey man, there's awesome Hills. We're doing this kind of stuff in Glenpool. Let's go to Glenpool. And the rest of us are like, dude, we promised them we won't do it. We have to stick by our promise, man. And he's like, promise. What the hell is that? <laughs> you made a promise what are you children come on let's just go yeah and one of the guys was like is that what you do when you promise your mom something you lie to her and he goes ah oh, fine i'm with children so we went to the police station and had some brownies and hamburger and hot chocolate and they ask us are you boys the guys that were snowboarding we're like, yeah yeah, we heard about you guys. We're glad you made the promise. They they were happy with that. Aw. Well, so yeah, this was the quality of police we have there. Yeah. <laughs> you promise you won't do something. They're fine with it. So was your conversion then in Tulsa? Uh no. Okay. Okay. I had in in Tulsa the, the strange thing is that everywhere else I lived you can do magic spells and you can do most places out in the open in Tulsa. It's like the belt buckle of the Bible belt. So if you're going to do <laughs> that, magic spell, you've got to be in your own bedroom with the door locked. Cause if your roommate happens to walk in and see what you're doing, he or she is going to burn you at the stake. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was pretending to be a nice guy when I was there but I was still a Satanist. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I was still practicing magic. I was addicted to magic. I couldn't stop. So, but I'm going to the Baptist church when I'm there and I'm still acting like I'm a nice guy. So when I leave there, I'm driving back to Canada. I still don't have uh, a passport 
but I'm thinking, you know, it's been two years later, three years later, I'm going to try it now. And I got rejected at the border again. And so I'm driving back and somebody tells me that there's a border crossing near Burlington, Vermont, and there's no border guard there. So I thought that's where I'm going. I'll pass over that. So I'm about two hours away from that. And I just suddenly get really sleepy, like bone weary. I can't drive any further. So I pull over to rest stop and I take a nap. I thought it was going to be a nap, but I woke up. It was the next morning. And I thought, all right, well, so I got up, go to the bathroom, got back in my car, start driving. It's only two hours to go. And I passed over that, over that border and I got pulled over by a border guard that's not supposed to be there. <laughs> and he searches my car inside and out, top to bottom, and tells me his life story as he does it. And it takes him three hours to search my car. And in that three hours, he tells me that he's been trying to get this job for three years. And today is his very first day on the job. <laughs> and I realized that God has a sense of humor. Had I driven across this yesterday, I'd be safely in Canada now. But you slipped through it. <laughs> but because I slept through that, yeah. or I'm rejected, I have $18 and half a tank of gas. So I drove to Burlington, Vermont. And I got tied in with their homeless program. And the homeless told me that it's impossible to get a job in Burlington. No one gets a job there. So I'm going to be homeless with them with no job. So my first day in town, I got a job at a bar. It's a restaurant. It's a venue spot called Nectar's. And so I got that job and I was the dishwasher. And I said I was willing to do anything. So they hired me to be the dishwasher. When I finished my shift, they said, now we have all the dishwashers we need, but if we need you, we'll come and get you. And I thought, okay, they're just blowing me off. So at least I got a few bucks. So I went back to the homeless shelter. And then that night, they said, there's somebody at the door for you. And I'm thinking, nobody knows where I'm at. So I opened the door, and it's the owner from Nectar's saying that their dishwasher called out. Can I work tonight? Yes, I can. So I showed up there at night and his wife was running the night shift and she came back to tell me some other stuff that I could do. But when she came back, she saw that I had arranged all the products by date and that I had cleaned everything. And she was like, you're doing good. Never mind." And she walked back out. Then at the end of the night, you know, we're leaving. It's like four o'clock in the morning. And she says, um, I fired our dishwasher tonight. This job is now yours. You know, you're going to be working probably nine hour days, seven days a week. Are you okay with that? I was like, hell yeah. So that was my job. I, I worked there for quite a long time at that. And then I moved from being the dishwasher to being a doorman, and which is basically a bouncer. And then I moved from being the doorman to being head of security. And then another um, bar stole me away. They offered me more money to be head of security. And then I went from being head of security to being the GM. We had a nighttime GM and a daytime GM. 
So I was the nighttime GM. And then when that bar closed, I went to work for Finish Line as a manager in training. And then from there, I got stolen away by Sunglass Hut. And so I was the GM at Sunglass Hut. And then I got stolen away by um, Piercing Pagoda. And I was at Piercing Pagoda, and I did a magic spell one night. Next day, I went to work, and this woman came up to buy a pair of gold hoop earrings. And at the end of the transaction, well, it's, it's about to be in. I'm about to close the deal. And she says, you know, actually, I'm shopping with my daughter. When I'm done, I'll come back and I'll buy these. And I know when women say that. I've been in retail long enough to know that when a woman says that, what she means is, I'm going to go find it cheaper someplace else. But she had an honest face. And I thought she was actually going to come back and make the purchase. And three hours later, she came back. And we made the transaction. And I handed her the receipt. And I said, if you call the 800 number on this receipt, take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she's like, that's great. I've got something for you, too. And I'm thinking, oh, no. She's going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet, tell me that I'm sinning. I need to drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness. All this stuff I can't do because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. But instead, she pulls out this little cheap gold-colored piece of tin. And then she says, the strangest thing I've ever heard. Now, remember that I used to party with rock stars. So you give somebody that can write poems and songs, unlimited booze and drugs, and they will say some strange stuff. You know, my example during my talk is the number one song of 1999 was Bow to Bob by Kid Rock. That song outdid every other song on the charts. It was number one forever. It was the number one video. It was the number one song. And he comes out and belts out, you know, I'm Kid Rock. And then he starts jumping all around the stage. And you got motorcycles jumping over stuff. You got this, um, bl this black woman with a blonde wig playing the drums. And, um, you know, I said, but a lot of times your breakout song, even though it might make you initially a rock god, you never get better than that song. You know, he's got other songs that were out, but none of them went as high as that one. And the chorus to that song is bow to ba to dang to dang, diggy diggy, up jumps the boogie. Yeah. Poetry right there. <laughs> That's it. So what she told me was stranger than that. This woman said, the blessed mother is calling you into her army. And I'm thinking, blessed mother, Isis, Gaia. I, I don't know who the blessed mother is. I grew up Baptist. Mary gave birth to Jesus. Do you know what else she did? Nothing, because Mary gave birth to Jesus. We didn't hear about Mary and Joseph fleeing into Egypt because Mary gave birth to Jesus. And we didn't hear about Jesus turning water into wine because Baptists don't drink. So <laughs> you don't hear that first miracle story because he turned water into an alcoholic drink that the Baptists can't drink. But we didn't hear that. So the only thing we know about Mary 
is that. And what titles does she have? None. We don't have any titles for it. It's just Mary. So I, I'm thinking, you know, the Blessed Mother. Who? No idea. And then she says it's very powerful. All right. So this woman represents some female deity club or cult. You know, I came from two big cults. I'm not interested in hers. You know, I have no idea what's going on here, but, you know, I just kind of tune her out. I just go to my happy place and I think, how did they all find me? (laughs) There must be a sign above my head that only crazy people can see. It says crazy people come here and an arrow pointing down to me. And I, after a while, I realize I have her money. She has my gold. This was win-win for the two of us. Why is she still talking to me? So I tune her back in. And she says, again, it's very powerful. Mm, no. You know, there's between two and five high wizards in the world. The number could be as low as one or as high as ten. So that means at any one time, I could have been the only one high wizard out of seven billion people. That's a power trip and a half. And she's trying to tell me that this blessed, miraculous metal is powerful. There's no power to this. This can't touch me. There's no mystique here. I'm going to take this in my hand, and I'm going to feel of it. Because at that time, I could touch anything and tell you, this has a death spell on it. This has a spell of protection on it. Your friend found this at Goodwill and made up a story about it. There's nothing to it. So I figured I was going to touch it and feel nothing. And I stuck my hand out. She dropped it in my hand and I clenched my fist, all ready to tell her about herself and this worthless, miraculous metal. Except that when I clenched my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappeared. And I'm standing in this darkened void. And this woman, Marianne Wickman, tells me about the magic spell I did last night. And that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches, and that's of the devil. And I've committed over 100 abortions, and that's of the devil. And she tells me about eight or nine other sins and ends everything with, and that's of the the devil. When I first went into this darkened void, I thought about hitting her with an energy burst or a few lightning bolts. But at this point, I'm beginning to realize that as the high wizard, I did not have the power to give somebody a worthless gold-colored piece of tin, transport both of us to a darkened void, and know all of their sins. Her magic is stronger than mine. I don't know what to do. I am terrified of this woman. I can't attack her. She'll destroy me. And I'm thinking about letting go of this thing. But what happens if I just fall through this darkened void and don't find my way back to my store? I don't know what to do. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And instantly, like a grace from the Holy Spirit, I knew that was the Mother of God, which is a very strange revelation for a former Baptist to have. We would rather shoot ourselves in the face with a shotgun than say Mother of God. And when I realized it was the mother of God, Mary showed up. She is the 
most beautiful woman I have ever seen. And she smiled at me, a smile I knew I did not deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. She took me by the hand, the hand that had the metal in it, and she turned me around. Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I wasn't Catholic. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I had these rays of light shooting under me and over me and around me and through me. And in that instant, I knew I did not sell my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew all my magic, my occult, my new age, and my Satanism was false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand and I was back in my store, back in my mall. And this woman, Marianne Wickman, is still talking to me. And she tells me about where she goes to Mass, gives me the address. Her daughter comes up to the counter and she says, could you bring this man one of each of everything? So this girl runs out to the car. And then she tells me that she is Father Joseph Whalen's personal assistant and that he's such a busy priest, he doesn't even have time to talk to her. While she's talking, her cell phone rings and it's Father Joe on the other end. And she says, oh, this is Father Joe, I've got to take this. Like, yeah, you just explained all that, go ahead. So she answers the phone. At that time, Father Joe was starting to go deaf. So he talks like everybody's going deaf. I could hear what he said on the phone. Says, Father Joe, what can I help you with? Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? Sure thing. So she hands me the phone. Now I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. I'm like, hello? Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. So I hand the phone back to Marianne. He hangs up on her. We get two more phone calls like that. And then her daughter comes back up with a paper grocery bag filled with pamphlets. Why do Catholics believe this or do this? Uh, Catholic Bible and about 125 Lighthouse Catholic media discs. And then she tells me where she goes to Mass. And when I got home that day, I opened my door and I said, hey, honey, guess what? I'm Catholic now. My wife had grown up Jehovah's Witness. So the first words out of her mouth were, of all the things you could possibly be, why would you do that? But the next day, she went to Mass with me. And at the consecration, I saw Jesus. And I thought everybody in that room saw the same thing. I thought if you were Catholic, you could see that. And I was like, did you see that? She goes, what? I said, that man up on the stage. She goes, that's the priest. I said, no, the other guy. She goes, I don't see anything. I said, you don't see it because you're not Catholic. Because I thought I was Catholic when the woman gave me the medal. And then I was talking with the woman that gave me the medal because she was there. And she mentioned that there's a place called Perpetual Adoration where you can see Jesus anytime you want. And I was like, is there a sign-up sheet for that? Do I have to like sign my name up? And then like three or four years from now, they'll call me and say, this is your window? She's like, no, you just go. Right, there's no way. I can go and see God anytime I want. She goes, yeah. I said, no, I'm not buying that. I said, there's a line to get in to see Elvis, and he's been dead 40 years. 
So we go, me and my wife go. And shock number one, we're the only other car in the parking lot. Shock number two, there's no line to get in. Shock number three, we walk into the chapel. It's me, my ex-wife, Jesus, and this woman. This woman looks up like a deer in the headlights, and she starts packing her stuff as fast as she can go. And then she tells us, you can't leave till someone else comes in. Bam, she's out the door. And I thought, why would I leave? I'm in a room with Jesus. So that became my regular hangout. I would be there anywhere from 30 minutes a day to 18 hours a day. Um, she brought Monsignor Lavalle to my house. And she says, could you tell Monsignor what you see in the Eucharist? I said, I see Jesus, don't you? He was like, absolutely. So then when he got out to the car, he told Marianne, he's a former Satanist, and he sees Jesus in the Eucharist. You've got to make him Catholic. He's got Catholic written all over him. So I ended up getting blessed through him. He blessed my house. He gave me a crucifix. Um, and he gave me my RCIA personally. And then I came into the church. I was given the medal in January of 08. And I officially came into the church in May of 08. And then I started, I worked with St. Raphael for a couple of years. And then in around October 2010, I started All Saints Ministry. And All Saints Ministry has, you know, since 2010 to now, um, we've had approximately now since August, my numbers have gone up. So I'm about 210 interviews and 200 and about 10 conferences. Wow. So, um, for the, any, anybody who's listening or watching this that aren't familiar with perpetual adoration or adoration, so um, a consecrated host is placed in what's called a monstrance, which kind of looks like a really fancy trophy uh, with a glass por portion on the front uh, where the consecrated host is put in the middle. Um, I, I go quite frequently. I, th I find that it's, a, it's something that helps in so many different ways, especially when I'm having a real rough patch or if I've got a really big decision to make or... Um, I just, I just need my time with my Lord. <laughs> Transubstantiation. Yeah. It's the bread, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, that last part in the front is called the pigs. Okay. Yes. And the pigs and what's in the pigs See, the people that believe in the true presence of Christ are 15% of the Catholics and 100% of the Satanists. <laughs> and then sell them for between fifteen hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. And they wow. can tell if it's been consecrated or not. Right. They can tell if it's been consecrated. And why would you pay fifteen thousand dollars for a piece of bread? Right. But they can tell it's been consecrated. They can tell it's really God. I've I've heard of even like witches where if if unconsecrated hosts are laid out on a on a table and only one of them is consecrated that they can zero in and know exactly which one like to, just cuz the energy that they 
it, there's something about it to them. It's almost like a repulsion, but to us, it's like right. a compulsion. I want to be around it. And so it is fascinating to me because again, yeah, when you say about the transubstantiation at the, at the moment of consecration in the middle of a mass, the priest in persona Christi reenacts the last supper and says, this is my body. And, 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 and it is so, it is so after that moment. The people listening that don't know in persona Christi means in the person of Christ. Correct. When the priest lifts up the host, Christ comes down into his body. That's the same thing that happens in the confessional. We are not confessing our sins to a man. It's not just a mere man. He becomes in persona Christi. Christ comes down into him and forgives your sins. Now, do you still see Jesus in the Eucharist, or did something happen after you uh, it fully was confirmed? Probably about, I saw that for two years, and then for the final year, I would see him off and on. And now, for the most part, I don't see him. But I know he's there. I saw him there for two years. Do you miss seeing him? I do miss seeing him. Um, but I think I think the reason that I saw him was so that I could tell people about the true presence. And because he knew that eventually only 15% of the Catholics are going to believe in him. Well, I can tell you, my whole family, every one of them, well, uh, in my household, and then my parents and my my siblings, we all believe in the true presence. I wish more people did. Um, and I I I've, I really wanted to get you on to tell that story because I feel like it's one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard in my entire life, and I've heard a lot of them. Um, and it's I I know I've heard a lot of great Zachary King stories over the course <laughs> of over the years. I have, and I. I and for, for listeners, I've had good conversations with Zach off air. <laughs> you know, when I've had calls with you, I feel like, you know, like this one, this show's going into the, into the, over the two hour mark, but I've definitely had some really good chats with you in the past. And I feel like I'm going to have some more in the future, but tab, I want to know if you have any questions for Zach before we maybe wrap up this episode. I don't have any questions, but I did think that I really enjoyed your story, and it's a really incredible journey that you've gone through. Um, it's really cool. Yeah. Now, how how often are you in front of a Satanist or a former Satanist? I couldn't and tell you. No questions. <laughs> you you said that there's like that the one group had like 1.1 million members. Yeah. And well, I think yeah. that there's a lot of people that don't realize how many of them are in your community and you don't even know it. Well, for, for the people that think that 1.1 is a lot and there's never going to be a coven that big, last year at SatanCon, Lucian Greaves said that uh, Satanic Temple had 300,000 members worldwide. Now, this year at SatanCon, which was in Boston, um, he said that Satan, uh, the Satanic Temple has 700,000 members worldwide. And that's just one group. Yeah. And it's sad because I've seen video of people going to different, just like music festivals or art festivals and there's Satanists there and they're like unbaptizing people or, you know, they're, they're claiming to, you know, they're getting people to renounce their baptism. And, uh, 
people don't realize like they're, they're trying to be edgy. You're not. <laughs> it's well, it's a it's a really bad idea. You can't unbaptize yourself. No, no, no. You, you get, get one baptized, baptism. That's the, that's the the thumbprint of God goes on your soul. Right. But at the same time, you're opening a door. I mean, you are opening a door. You're, you're giving a consent. You know, you, when we started this talk, we talked about, you know, the, the face you saw in the mirror when you were doing the game as a kid. So, you know, you're giving consent, you're putting your will out there to these things. And so, you know, these, these actions aren't games. (laughs) They're just not. And, and we are in the middle of, a period like tonight is October 30th when we were recording this and October 31st in the witchcraft world in this, in the Satanist world is what I I've heard you say that, that this is when they believe that the veil. So the veil between the natural world and the supernatural world is at its thinnest point. Right. Yeah. Now, and so we got, we got a notification about, about a month ago from a PI that said they were trying to figure out some satanic event that was supposed to be happening soon. We eventually figured out that was going to be on Halloween. And they say there is some curse about to happen. It's happening tomorrow, but it could happen tonight at midnight. And so it's somewhat I'm on the 31st and it's supposed to curse all 50 States. Yikes. We're having another presidential election that I didn't know about. <laughs> I, I don't or are you know, guys getting nuked? I got notification last week from the Hesed Institute, which is a 187-member monastery in Brazil. And they said that the Satanists there are telling them that the Satanists are doing a bla- an extended black mass on Halloween to usher in the Antichrist. Wow. So that could be what the cursing 50 states thing is about. With the way things are going, nothing surprises me at this stage. <laughs> it's just nothing surprises me at this stage. And the catacomb yeah. has been moved out of the way, uh, which is something I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to get you back on, Zach, and, and really kind of get to the meat and potatoes about what, because like, we've heard your story, but I wouldn't love to have you back on again to maybe talk more macro, you know, talk more about what's going on, how to protect your kids from watching bad, bad, bad content, how to, how to keep cursed items out of your home and, and, and lots of different stuff. Because the thing is, is that you have been gifted, not gifted is the wrong word, but you bring to the table a lot, a a level of knowledge about things that, you know, most people are unaware of, maybe don't believe exists, but at the same time should be more aware of because we got to be more cautious at this time, you know? And it, there it's... was um, a few years ago, I think it was 2012. I did a talk and I talked about these satanic conventions that happen and they're top secret. And the only people that know about them are Satanists. So this guy calls me. And it's like a few weeks after I did that talk. And he said, I was at your talk at such and such. And you mentioned satanic conventions. Why do you say that? And I said, because they're not happening in the public square, but the way Satan is heading, they're eventually going to happen in the public square. 
So if you start praying against them now, maybe they won't become a reality. And, you know, maybe that they'll stay secret. And he says, well, I've never heard of a satanic convention. And I think you just made it up so that you could add some oomph to your, your, your conference. And I said, well, wouldn't that have behooved me to set it before the conference so I could have driven more people to be there? But I didn't. I added it in the conference so that the only people that know about it are the people that went. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, how, how is that making it more or whatever? You know? And he's like, well, I don't believe that's happening at all. I've never heard of it. I said, why would you? Well, you were Satanist. And, you know, so he's like, well, I'm not going to waste my time praying against it. I said, well, in the Bible, it says no prayers are wasted. So if you pray against it, it never happens. Then thank God that he listened to you and kept them out of the public square. And he goes, no, I'm not going to waste my time. I was like, well, you just called me to say what? He goes, I think you're a liar. I think you made it up. I don't think Satan Khan is ever going to happen. Okay. Uh, sorry you feel that way, but just remember that no prayers are wasted. And so he hangs up. Fast forward 10 years <laughs> or so. It's last year. Yeah. And this guy calls me and he says, Oh, I just found out that there's a, a, a Satan con happening in Arizona. What are we going to do? I was like, Wait, that voice. I've talked to you before. <laughs> he was like um, yeah I think I called you about 10 years ago I was like yeah you did you <laughs> called me about satanic conventions you asked me why I mentioned satanic conventions do you remember what I said no I said that if you start praying against it now maybe it won't happen in the public square maybe it would stay secret and stay in the background and Satanists will be the only ones going and you know, none of the regular public will know about it. Do you remember what you told me? No. Oh, you called me a liar and said I did it just to add some oomph to my talk. Do you remember all that? He goes, um, yeah. I said, yeah. He goes, what, what are we going to do? I said, you want to know what's happening right now? Well, because you didn't pray against it, Satan pulled out his satanic shotgun loaded both barrels and just pulled both triggers. So what's going to happen right now is Satan gone. Mm. All this glory. It's in a month. You can't stop it. You didn't pray against it for 10 years. And now here we are about to have Satan gone. Zach, this, this year we had it in Boston. Yeah. And it was, it was overwhelmingly popular, unfortunately. Now right. listen, um, this show is called High Trust, Low Context, and uh, I've been tr I've forgotten for the last couple of times. But before we wrap this one up, I got to ask you the question I'd like to ask all of my guests, and that is, who do you trust? Jesus, Mary, Holy Family, my wife. That's a great answer. Well, Zach, I'm going to have you back on again. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to do it at, at an earlier stage because I am in a different time zone than y'all. <laughs> I'm I'm a good two hours ahead of you already. But uh, Zach, thanks so much for coming on. Tab, thanks for being here as well. I My really pleasure. appreciate it having you guys both here. And uh, I, I 
I would love to have you back. Um, and uh, if you, if to the listeners and audience that are that have checked this one out, if you think that you know of anyone that could benefit from hearing Zach's story, please share it. Um, I, I will try to get this out onto as many platforms that'll allow me to keep it there. And uh, I, I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah. So this has been another edition of high trust, low contest or context. <laughs> this has been another edition of high trust, low context. Thank you for joining us. I'm El Chaco signing off. Viva Cristo Ray.